Hello and welcome to the Making It in Asheville podcast. This is your neighborhood podcast where each week we sit down with an Asheville-based entrepreneur, small business owner, community member. We ask them what they're making and how they are making it in Asheville. And this season is a cool season where you're focused solely on e-commerce and retail businesses here in Asheville. And this week we have back on the pod for at least the second, potentially third, definitely third time, uh, friend of the pod, Gilly Roberts from Where. Gilly, if you could just take a moment and uh, describe Where as it exists today and introduce yourself if you could. Yeah, thanks, Danny. Um, my name is Gilly Roberts, and I Where is a, we say, zero-waste living shop or sustainable living shop, or sometimes I say something different every time I talk about it. But um, we have... Z- narrowed in on a tagline of late and it is low waste high standards if that helps Ooh, yeah is that okay that's wrong um and so uh yeah we do in store our brick and mortar has a big refill component but as does our e-commerce and we're kind of growing that um in a way that is new from either of our previous conversations about it so did i cover all the bases i I think i talked about it without talking about yeah and it's 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 great to have you back so um when uh, without going into the origin story, but wow, when did you found where? 2018, opened the doors. 2018, Downtown opened Nashville. the door. 2019, you were episode guest number two on the pod. Guest number two. So maybe it was episode four. I think it was, no, I, I thought it had, was not first guest. Okay. Yeah, John Hopple, okay. Airbnb. Got it. Our first Heard. Uh, guest. So you were our first, like, definitely brick and mortar, definitely retail store. The The business was relatively new. Yeah. Then we opened I, in middle of like July of 2018. So right, so it was like a year, maybe maybe you had just about had a year because yeah. we we arrived in May and we would have had you on right away. So uh, you were coming up on a year. Next time we have you on um, is probably right at the start of the pandemic. I kind of blacked Times. that period out, so don't exactly remember the milestones <laughs> along the way. But outside in, a lot of changes appear to have taken place. I remember in the first conversation um, there was perhaps at the time, no e-commerce capacity on the website. Minimal. When we first opened. Minimal no. at most. I actually kind of rebelled were, against it. Yeah. You, I was it, opposed it, to it for a while. Opposed to it. And so what I'm excited about having you on the podcast for today is there have been a number of changes and it does appear that e-commerce, um, while it may not be more than 51% of the business today, and I don't know. Yet. Um, it, yet. It seems like it's headed in that direction. You're in a new location in West Asheville. Um, There's a new tagline. There's (laughs) a new tagline. There's a new tagline. (laughs) New branding. So from 2018 to we're now mid-2023, you've been at this. Five years. Five years for a minute. Mm -hmm. So um, I would love to get a sense of what is going on today. We're going to call this a little bit of a teaser. Then we'll go back to the beginning and then we'll come back to today. So sure. what is what is today look like? We have some, if you're not watching on YouTube, here's a great opportunity, great episode to watch on YouTube if you want to see what we're talking about. Otherwise, All we'll describe it. Stuff. We brought some products. What What is happening? How do we create a low waste, high standards e-commerce and retail business here in Nashville? Uh, for us, the e-commerce and the brick and mortar retail are inextricably linked. Yeah. Um, there's so much information behind a brand that deals in minimizing waste and um, changing people's kind of daily habits in any way, even if it's convincing them to buy a different product than the one they've been getting at the grocery store, that 
you have to have so much information available to people that even if we only sold brick and mortar, our online presence would be super important. However, <clears throat> we also sell e-commerce. It's about 20% of our business at this point. Mm -hmm. And we are trying to figure out how to make as much of the refill experience, not just feasible for people to purchase, but as sustainable as coming in the store to refill things on your own. And that's our current challenge. And if I'm not mistaken, some of that looks like uh, a delivery service that might be coming online. That's local? locally based. Local -based. I'm talking exactly. about e-commerce from Just anywhere generally. in the country. Okay. But yes, that's also part, technically part of e-commerce. Interesting. And so um, at 20% of the business, but if we're going to forecast into the future, it looks like it's going to be a growing percentage. Yeah. And I, and one of the things that I've always loved about your business is how much you do put into educating consumers like myself and my wife who kind of ask you, <laughs> Hey, what, what, what should we do? What is the right call? Or don't ask and just like, look at what's available in I mean, your, it, it on your website. It certainly makes our jobs that easier when people ask, because yeah. then we know what we need, what information mm. we need to give them. Otherwise we risk inundating them with too much because the reality of like the reality of selling products because of how they're made means you can talk about them forever right not only how they're made but how they're used and then how they're disposed of we literally could talk about products forever and people would very quickly become overwhelmed so it's great when people ask questions it makes our job easier interesting and one of my kind of core beliefs on selling things is that people buy stories. They're either buying the story of the product, the story of their experience buying the product, the story that they believe that they get to tell once it's yeah. in their possession and people are looking at it on their countertop, whatever it is, they're, you're ending up, you're buying a story, you're not typically buying products or transacting solely for what the thing is, the widget. Um, and if you are in a business of selling just the widget, then you're probably not selling at where. You're no, you're certainly not. And I, and like the only world in which I could picture an alternative to that is like in those um, kind of dystopian movies where people walk through a grocery store, but everything's labeled with white and it's black text. And like you just pick the one option of everything. <clears throat> Maybe that's what everyone's trying to sell is like communism. But <laughs> that's a different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, so th that is the extreme or the other extreme is just, um, you know, filter for cheapest. Right. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. either you have a single choice because yeah. that's what comes down from the mothership or um, filter for cheapest. And then the story is no longer yeah. the even it, it, it can't be. Yeah. It's just a matter of, um, of efficiency. So. And in that case, why produce anything but the cheapest? So then you're probably down to one again. You're down to <laughs> you're down to one. <laughs> and then what will rise from the ash is a, uh, a counterculture alternative. And then all of a sudden you're stories. you get to start telling stories again. And then all of a sudden you get to be, we've got a plot here. We got something we've and, got and you get to exactly what you said though, is, uh, is choose based on whatever, uh, values you might have and your values, at least communicated by your new motto <laughs> is low waste and high standards. And I, I love that for you. I think that's a really, I think it's a really strong motto and way yeah. to communicate the filters you use. Yeah, and what makes us different. I mean, there's a lot of stores selling products like ours have existed long before they were branded as low waste stores or mm. zero waste shops or refill shops. Um, I've been, you know, I grew up going to natural food stores with my mom as a kid and many of these products already existed, but they weren't being marketed to the general public. They were only being marketed to people who cared about one specific set of 
values, and usually it was health, human health. Mm. And so when you take those products and you look at how do I deliver this to an audience that cares about the environment, that also cares about um, what it looks like, but that also cares about how it works, how Mm. well it works, and cares about human health, and cares about how it was made and how it got there you have to you start talking about checking a lot of boxes Mm. but you also it also means like you're speaking to a much wider audience so you have to adapt everything about the way you talk about that product to encompass all of those values and that becomes both very difficult in some regards Um, Difficult in the sense of like, we're just pulling some of these values into the mainstream. And so you're trying to find ways that don't water down the meaning of these terms in ways that they're already getting watered down, like sustainability. What does that even mean Mm. anymore? Um, I have a degree in it. I can talk about what it means all the time, all all day long, but it doesn't necessarily mean I'm talking about the same thing that, excuse me, every brand on the internet is talking about when they say whether a product is sustainable or not. Um, the easy part is that you get to follow more conventional marketing guidelines. And so there's a little bit more of a framework to emulate Mm. than there is in a setting where you're not like in a, like in the old school, like grungy hippie health food store settings that these products used to be found in. I feel like there, there wasn't necessarily need for a framework. So maybe that doesn't change whether it's harder or or easier, but. And how much of this have you learned in the last five years or did you feel like you were aware of in 2018? Right? Like part of me me assumes that there's been some learning curve where you're like, oh, I was slamming my head against the wall for a while. and And I now realize that there is this slightly more standard playbook, even with air quotes, sustainable products, or there's some things like, oh, I got to throw the playbook out and rewrite it because we're in this space that really hasn't had uh, whatever kind of voice you've built. I'd say the first portion of that, the pulling these products that I already knew existed into the more popular realm Mm -hmm. and those kinds of challenges, I think I had a pretty good grasp on. Because that was kind of the plan from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. I knew the products existed. How do I get them in front of people who don't know they don't, they exist yet? That was always the goal. The adopting more conventional marketing strategies for less conventional products, I think I came to that more recently. Interesting. I think I was trying to rewrite a book that didn't need to be rewritten before the last, honestly, year. Year or so. Yeah. So maybe we'll take a second and assume that people haven't been following along since 2019. Okay. Um, what did V1 or V0.1 of where look like? And what, um, if, I mean, if we can boil it down to a couple, what several kind of milestones or inflection points have most affected your trajectory, right? Like, so seems to me a global, you know, goes without saying pandemic Mm -hmm. affected something in the trajectory Mm -hmm. what happened before 2020 that might have uh, modified how you were thinking about the world thinking about two to three major milestones from concept 0.1 or version 1.0 so when we were opened it was you know a downtown 
tourist district boutique selling clothing and decor and a lot of the like functional daily use items that we mm -hmm. carry. Not not as broad a range as we carry now, but um, we were just doing a lot in a with a small budget and in a relatively small amount of space. Mm -hmm. We're in a smaller space now, but for considering that we were trying to cover like what department stores do sure. in one boutique. Um, and, and for what it's worth, the new space maybe even feels bigger because it's taller. It is a lot taller. It's a lot taller. We so, went from like probably not even code tall ceilings yeah. to 12 foot ceilings. So. Yeah. so it does when you walk in, you're like, ooh, big Yeah, there's more space. space. It's just not on the ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and then we do utilize the vertical space as much as possible. It's not, totally. for storage, obviously, no yeah. one can reach it, but. Um, and for what it's worth, where are you now? Now we've moved, as of a year ago, we moved to West Asheville, which is, for folks unfamiliar with Asheville, I call it the locals downtown. It is another neighborhood of Asheville that is more residential than downtown, um, currently less pedestrian, but still pretty heavily pedestrian by nature of being, um, more residential. More residential. Yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, we can walk to a grocery store now and we're surrounded by coffee shops and, and um, like sandwich shops and mm -hmm. the kinds of places that like make the ease of being in a space for nine hours a day, five days a week more pleasant than mm -hmm. being surrounded by kind of like boutiques and high-end restaurants and things like that, which are not bad things to exist they're just when that's your work environment you're like okay yeah. what place am i going to overspend on lunch today mm -hmm. or did i if i forgot my lunch or things mm -hmm. like that it's just it's a very different lifestyle so in addition to it being a business move it's also like a higher quality of life for everyone who works at where in the new space even though at the time when we moved none of us lived in west Asheville. we all lived downtown and we were still happier <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a i mean that's it's rare a, that's a great note so uh again it circles back to the thread so we're in west Asheville now that's a big change you were in downtown. Yeah. Um, you had oh. a little a little bit of everything in 2018. Yeah, sorry, yes. And now it's Thanks. more, but Well, narrower. so what happens when we shut down for the pandemic, mm -hmm. we closed the store and we renovated it. And I had I had always wanted a refill component to the store. I didn't think Asheville was ready for it. And I didn't have the budget and or understanding of the processes around it when we first opened. So I don't know what I was waiting for, but I was waiting for something. Hmm. And then we shut down for the pandemic and I was like, this is, this is what I was waiting for. Claire installed the clothing, Claire installed a lot of the, um, like decor and non-functional pieces. And there were beautiful rugs as an example. There were rugs. Yeah. There were poofs. There were a lot more like, there's art, things like that. Yeah. Um, and launched a very small version of literally just refillable versions of the products we already carried. We already carried some companies like Fillory out of Durham who um, had refill built into their business model. Mm -hmm. We just weren't accessing that yet. And so we just immediately, that was our starting, or like jumping off point, was just adding the refill options for the products we already carried and sold a lot of. Great. And we grew from there. And that was probably like five things at the time. Yeah, and you, you mentioned that you thought Asheville might not be ready for refill. How were you making your assumptions and then what parts of whatever test you ran proved uh, that there was more capacity than maybe you thought? Um, it was super anecdotal. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Based primarily on the fact that the cities where I knew it was happening already were big. Yeah. The LA's and the New York's of the world. Yeah. And, and all over the UK at the time, but that wasn't 
our different culture market yeah. or our culture. Yeah. So I was not, just wasn't sure if we had the volume for it. Um, and I wasn't sure if where had the volume, like the foot traffic volume for it. If we could start something that would, you know, immediately be successful and risk, you know, cause there's actually is a shelf life to, to like soap and things like that. And I was like, what if we buy all this product in these bags and it just sits here and people are like, mm, I'd rather get a new bottle. <laughs> um, but we started getting questions about yeah. it and the company we were selling is called Fillery and people are like, well, does it, can I refill it? And I'm like, oh, that's a good question. You can just not here. And so I realized I was sending folks to Fillery to have like mail order subscription mm. plans. And I was like, this is getting silly. Uh, we sell this product. We should sell all of every version of this product. We should kind of continue on our mission in this way. Yeah. Love it. Okay. So if I'm hearing maybe three major changes from the 2019 or so version of where it's um, A, you're in a new spot. B, mm -hmm. uh, you've simplified the breadth of offering and mm -hmm. then increased the depth in the areas that you're paying attention to. Yeah. Um, and then it's pretty in on refill uh, by way of, or as an underline on the concept of we're gonna focus on uh, like minimal waste. Yeah. And so perhaps refill is the answer to this question, but what, what concepts by way of minimal waste have evolved for the business? Maybe none, uh, from when you started. Um, it was always such a big part of the mission it was that it's more that just by nature of adding the refill station, we expanded our, capacity to support people in that effort. Perfect. And then the other half of the motto today is, um, high standards. How have you, how have the standards evolved over the last five years, if at all? And, um, we know you've mentioned some of the many boxes that one might mm -hmm. attempt to check off when looking at just sustainability. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I know that that's not the only yeah, set yeah. of boxes that you're paying attention to. So what does, um, what do the standards look like? The standards on the sustainability side, the standards look like where paying living wages, where partnering with businesses that pay living wages, regardless of where they're located, living and thriving, ideally wages. Um, they look like packaging materials and responsibility and packing materials. They look like supply chain production and functions with along, all along the supply chain. They look like the location of the company. If they, if we can find the same product closer to home, we will swap it out. Mm. The same product being an, an equal of equal quality and function. Um, and checking all the other boxes mm -hmm. and just happens to be close to home, which is not always, but we can often get closer than mm -hmm. we, than, than the easiest thing that we found. Um, it looks like ingredients that are applicable to more people and minimize damage and waste wherever possible. So like if we, we almost always source vegan products, um, that is the case for two reasons. One, if we have an alternative that doesn't require ag like large scale agriculture, why not? Um, but also it broadens our market. Right. So now we're serving anyone who wants this product, not just folks who don't care about 
not don't care about, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Not just not folks who aren't shopping with vegan values in mind. Sure. Um, and, um, and that's just like all on the sustainability side. And I'm sure I'm missing some, uh, we try to go small brands, small companies whenever possible. Um, I do consider that an economic portion of a sustainability consideration because small businesses are, are by nature of the way that they keep money local and the way that they tend to have smaller environmental impacts, they are sustainability considerations. The economics of a, an enterprise is a sustainability consideration. Um, and then, and then we look at things like, what does it look like in your home? And do you want to look at that mm-hmm. product every day? Which is a, a big dropping off point for a lot of these brands. Yeah, we lose I, I a feel lot like of you, them. You might have done well, might have done well, might have done well. And then, it's and like, then what's tw- it look like? And you're like, oh, man. And so, and like the, the vast majority of, you know, we hit the point where we just made a form on our website for people to, for vendors to apply because, you know, all we have to do is type in their URL and know that the branding doesn't work, so they're not going to be in the shop, regardless of how many other boxes they check. And that is something that I think I've I've had some some gentle and not so gentle pushback on from brands and other people saying, "How can you say, you know, sustainability is the ultimate concern when you're so concerned about the superficial side of it as well?" And my response is, I actually don't care why someone buys a product from where, and I've said this on this podcast before, I don't care why someone buys a product from where, if they buy it because it looks nice, or if they buy it because it works well, or if they buy it because it's sustainably made, or if they buy it because it's vegan, or if they buy it because they can refill it. We've added another box to that Mm -hmm. list of reasons that people would buy this product. And so we, by making it beautiful, in addition to functional and sustainable and all of the other things, we, pull other people into this conversation that otherwise wouldn't be in it. And that's part of our mission is that education piece. And so by nature of it being an aesthetic that more people buy into and the like kind of dominant culture, like dominant aesthetic culture of the United States right now, it means we genuinely, we just have a bigger reach or more power to our reach anyway. Sure. It's almost perhaps the inverse of the if it can be vegan, why wouldn't we have it be vegan? If it can be beautiful. If it can be beautiful, why wouldn't we choose the beautiful option? Yeah. It's just one fewer way to have someone opt out exactly. right? and say, exactly. oh, well, I'll just, I'll get the other yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the other thing is at least yeah. I know it'll look good on the counter. Yeah. And so, but if someone's buying it just because it's cute and popular, Hell also yeah. great. They're not only giving money to a business that is doing good things with it, or so I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, they've, hopefully they use it and they like it and they buy it again and they've swapped something out in their life for that was maybe more wasteful before. Who knows? Hello. Are you watching on YouTube, listening on your favorite podcast player? If you're not on YouTube, perhaps consider it because behind us, you would notice that we are in an absolutely beautiful space and that space is our season sponsor, Ernest Ready Made Warehousing. And so if you're not familiar with Ernest, uh, it is fantastic. I am joined here by my wife, Sarah Ubertaccio, founder of QB Cucina and one of Ernest's newest clients. Yeah. Excited to be back on the podcast. Great to have you back. Episode 110, if you haven't listened before. But what we want to talk about today is why you chose Ernest and what makes Ernest stand out, let's say, compared to uh, finding a new office space in town to fulfill from. As a very high level, Ernest is a 30,000 square foot facility on Sweeten Creek, just south of Asheville. Huge facility, beautiful facility. Uh, why did you choose to go with Ernest instead of 
any other place in Asheville. Yeah, well, I have a small growing business, e-commerce. We sell pasta tools and Italian kitchenware. And we currently outgrew the space that we were in and really needed um, a different kind of space. And so I love Ernest. I love the fact that uh, as we grow, Ernest can scale with us. So they have different sized co-warehousing spaces. Um, so if we, if we grow bigger, we can just quickly move over to a different space within the same building, which is a really huge time saver. I also really love that they have daily, sometimes multiple times a day, um, pickups from UPS, FedEx, and USPS. So we don't have to worry about packages getting lost or stolen, and our team doesn't have to drop them off at the post office. And it just saves us all a bunch of time and headache. Um, and also they have temperature controlled rooms, which for a business like us, we, one of our products is pasta flour. It's really sensitive to temperature. It's really, really important for us to make sure that our products are secure and not, um, not getting damaged while they're being stored in our warehouse. Um, and I love all the other amenities. I love they have a photography studio so we can quickly photograph our products. They have a full break room. Um, they have co-working space that we're able to use for our meetings with team members and other people um, that may come to, to see us. And then just the sense of community being around other uh, small businesses is something that we currently don't have. And I'm really, really looking forward to, to connecting with others here. I love that. EarnestReady.com if you've not uh, visited that before. Or you can check out makingitinashville.com forward slash Ernest. And we have a bunch of information about the partnership we've built for this season, as well as some perhaps special discounts and incentives. If you happen to be a e-commerce business or the right fit for Ernest, you should definitely check out makingitinashville.com forward slash Ernest. E-R-N-E-S-T. And back to the episode. That makes sense to me. Uh, awesome. So... I think we're then in present day. So what are perhaps, uh, I mean, as we're thinking about e-commerce and as we're thinking about trying to grow that portion of your business, a couple, I mean, a couple thoughts are coming to mind uh, or questions at the very least. What have you experienced in this transition to go from 0% of the business to 20% as perhaps the major, oh, we hadn't accounted for that, right? Because you have a beautiful, and I've always had a beautifully merchandised retail experience. Mm -hmm. um, what are parts of taking the business and making it more digital and uh, e-commerce focused? What things have shown up as, oof, or biggest moments, biggest inflection points? Um, so when we first opened where we were using a different point of sale system, mm -hmm. that was a big part of it. We were using Lightspeed and Lightspeed for those unfamiliar is a competitor to Shopify. However, where Lightspeed started in e-commerce and adopted brick and mortar point of sale systems into their, they acquired a business for that. Um, or maybe they just developed that internally. I'm actually not sure for Shopify. Lightspeed started as a brick and mortar point of sale and acquired kind of the European version of Shopify in order to add e-commerce to their capabilities. And it was terrible. Mm. And I don't know what it's at now, but for all of the things that Lightspeed did in the brick and mortar space for inventory management, et cetera, that Shopify still doesn't even compare to and reporting and things like that, um, it, it was so clunky on the e-commerce side. It was like pulling teeth. And I tried to get like, I had a friend help design a web page for it. And she had to learn an entire new language, for, coding language for it. And even then she was like, I can't do any of the things I'd like to do to make this 
attractive. She was like, I can't even take money from you for this. Like, this is too difficult to work with. And, and, um, and so it was just everything seemed like a hurdle with that. And it just was so difficult. And, and that was after I had overcome my initial thought of maybe I'll add e-commerce someday, but I want to prove that where as a brick and mortar store is a viable business concept outside of e-commerce. Yeah. Um, and that was just kind of, I don't, I honestly, I couldn't tell you why that was now. It's kind of a stubborn sticking point. Would you say ego? Like Probably. some sort of pride? Yeah, I'm sure it was. I think I just had this idea of the way I had worked in downtown boutiques when mm-hmm. I was younger. I just had this idea of like traffic flow and, and or like foot traffic and, and business functionings that didn't end up being reality for for me, but I can't, I couldn't really like define them. I don't think right now, Okay. but it felt like I needed to prove this first. Heard. And then, so in, we actually were making the move to Shopify prior to March, 2020. Um, we had started the subscription for Shopify, but we're still operating on Lightspeed and, um, we closed our doors on March 16th and, Within about, I think it was 48 hours, I had our entire catalog live on Shopify. Because as a store that sold soap during a pandemic, we were an essential business. And as a business that was able to operate, people didn't come into the store by any means. We did we shipped everything at that time. But um, we were able to fulfill orders. And I was running the business single-handedly at this point. And so I was in the store every day packing up soap and shipping it out. And I was just getting a crash course in Shopify. Mm. Um, and so I think all that time during, I, I'm yeah, I, I, I honestly haven't probably credited kind of pandemic time business owner brain and kind of what those horizons looked like and what we were all considering mm. to the real reason that um, I've embraced e-commerce in the way I have. But I would say again that much like the marketing approach, I don't think I fully embraced kind of more conventional marketing concepts for where until the last year. It's been a piecemeal acceptance. <laughs> Heard. Yeah. So you're on Shopify now. On Shopify. Um, the SKU total has skyrocketed, ballooned, just grown. Yeah, by nature of having a lot of smaller things. Although, mm, it's bigger. I think it's it's just grown steadily. Okay. When you're selling apparel, you have like sizes and colors and things, and that's messy. So, sure. Okay. Yeah. When when thinking about, you know, let's just say, it will give you a couple months, Q4 2020 mm-hmm. to we're about to be Q4 2023, mm-hmm. I imagine your experience with Shopify has evolved. Yeah. I mean, we pretty quickly were utilizing a lot of its capabilities that were relevant to our, to this business. And, you know, I've since added Clavio and a number of, um, apps to do lots of different things from like subscriptions. That's new. Mm -hmm. And part of me embracing conventional business practices and, um, trying to think what other things like back in stock notifications. We have all kinds of apps on our website now that just weren't, weren't part of the picture when, three years ago, not even close. Well, don't so mind, many apps. Don't mind me if I double click, right? So Clavio yeah, yeah. is an email, uh, 
infrastructure primarily. CRM add-on is the right way to say it or just email? How would you think about it? Email marketing. Email marketing. Um, email marketing could mean a lot of different things. I we do SMS as well. We just don't use that. You do SMS? They do they SMS. Do. I was going to say, I have not been texted by where that I'm aware of. Maybe Here's Sarah. another sticky. Hold on. I'm going to try not to do that for as long as possible. I know. Marketers will break text messaging. I'm confident in it, um, mm-hmm. in the, in the near term, it is the highest open rates of any possible, if uh, only to delete it, <laughs> if only to delete, if only to no longer have the notification exactly. of a message. Um, but what a opportunity cause you can't, I mean, you can, you can be sure that an email is delivered, let's say, yeah. and you can get an open, uh, you but can get a false open on an email. You can't false get a false open, exactly. open on a text. So you're not, there's no <laughs> current way that I'm aware of. To but you do that. also can't get a confirmed open confirmation on a text. Correct. Unless they have that set up, which is, which is a it would no be a weird thing. Yeah, you'd have to be like sending it from a like a iMessage account right, or, or something. Right, or like WhatsApp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, so uh, let's click into Clavio slash email marketing if you don't mind. Um, education, education, education is my guess for how you think oh, about yeah, email like marketing. Content, yeah. How wh- how are you thinking about emails today? Um, are there any specific email? techniques, concepts, things that have, um, shown up over the last three years that stand out to you? Um, we hired someone in, in the pandemic, like store was open to the world. I'm trying to pinpoint what time, what year this might be, would have been either late 2020 or early 2021 when we hired someone that I was like, Oh, I'm just going to let this person run our marketing. I'm not going to do any more of it. Um, and at no fault of her own realized that that was not something that worked. And then she ended up not sticking around for very long because she went to a marketing agency. But, um, in the meantime, she got us onto Clavio and immediately set up a bunch of flows mm. that we have for the most part, I've gone the the content of those flows has changed, but those flows have remained important to welcome series. And since, um, you know, we're, you know, currently we're working on following up on product purchases with like care instructions awesome. and um, kind of unintuitive use ideas and things like that. Because a lot of our products are multi-purpose. Like mm-hmm. we sell a dish block, but like it also works really well for cleaning rugs, <laughs> like spot cleaning rugs and things like that. So like things like that, that you don't always get the opportunity to, like I said, pack all that information into every touch point. Sure. Whether it's the website, even if you put a ton of text in your product listing or the conversation you have in the store because people only have so much bandwidth. Mm-hmm. And so just finding ways to get people more information about products we carry is, yeah, you're right. Education, education, education. I love it. Um, and that looks like a lot of different things, but flows are a big one. Um, we're p- currently parsing out our email list. We realize that, so Clevio gives you open rates and things like that, but they also give you like sales attributed to this email Mm -hmm. rates, which Mm -hmm. in a world of brick and mortar is kind of a messy business because if that person was coming into the store anyway that day and their phone happened to automatically open it and they spend money, it doesn't matter what they buy, even if you didn't market it to them via that email, that's going to go to that. It's going to get attributed to that. Interesting. And so we have to take that with a grain of salt. But what we've done recently that I think has helped with clarity, and I say recently, like this will be the second time, or today, yet tomorrow morning will be the second time an email goes out where we've done this, is we send the exact same email, unless it makes sense to change some of the words, to non-locals and to locals. 
to people we've deemed locals in our email list. Sure. Whether because we know for sure and we've tagged them as that in the store, or they've spent money in the store X number of times in the past year. So either they're local or they're here a lot. Yeah, which, welcome. Same. Yeah, 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 <laughs> same. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool, and with the purpose of giving yourself more clarity on the effectiveness overall of yeah, transaction like via Yeah, understanding email. if we're gonna grow in the e-com environment, how much of our marketing is actually affecting people's online purchasing that is not staying in this area. Awesome. By way of list building, which is, you know, there are two primary ways someone buys a thing. Yep. Uh, someone opts in to hear from you. What does the opt-in experience look like on where today? Is there a call to action for something other than? Yeah, we do a 10%. Okay. And that gets used. We had, you know, we tried, we had nothing for a very long time because I was of the mind that, and <laughs> would maintain that, but <clears throat> that our margins are just not what conventional retail is. And can we afford to give everybody 10%? I think the reality is like, can we afford to not do it once mm. if that's going to promote an initial purchase? Because, you know, the benchmark for um, customer retention, so like a repeat customer, mm -hmm. it's like 35, I think, is the industry standard. And we're in the mid to high 60s. Sick. So we just have to get that first sale. Yeah. And our issue is uh, is growing is like having a bigger audience mm -hmm. and making that first sale. Our, our issue is actually just not after that. We don't have to stress about that. Luckily. I, b I believe that that's true. I, I see you and this is not a perfect, uh, you know, parallel, parallel, but I see you as like, uh, you know, some version of Huckberry or some version of like, uh, I, I forget what the thing is where you get clothes sent every month or quarter oh, yeah, yeah. look box, whatever it is, uh, where it's like, I, you know, in a world where I am faced with a million decisions all the time, yeah, I would love to just outsource it to where, yeah, I'd love to outsource it to where. And so, in a in a lot of ways, I can imagine that once you, once for whatever reason someone chooses to purchase with you, yeah, you have now been you are in a position to become the expert, the resource the sounding board, the whatever it is for decision-making on, on products that live in a home. I, well, and another thing I learned, oh, sorry, let yeah. me finish what you're going with that. No, I, and, and so um, what, that would, what that would mean is based on that assumption that you'd have a high repeat customer list and probably um, you know, average order values that go up over time perhaps, or unless like refills are just like small, but continuous, um, I, I'd imagine that people go, oh no, yeah, like we just keep going back to where when we need to make yeah. a choice like this. Yeah, and I think related to that is something I learned fairly recently or realized fairly recently that maybe I learned gradually in the past couple years more than ever before. Because I think in like apparel retail and more aesthetically driven retail or like primarily aesthetically like home decor and apparel and things like that. The person doing the buying is often, especially a small shop like this where it's one person doing most of the things, they are their own target market. Mm. They're their own avatar. Mm -hmm. And I realized fairly recently that I've never been mine because, because our boxes are so broad that we have to check our ideal customer 
it's like three can't four be people. willing to do all the things that I'm willing to do sure. to get that information. Otherwise, they don't need me. Yeah. They yeah. don't need where if they don't mind spending their entire life doing research before they buy anything. Yeah. And that's not, and there aren't many of those people. And there aren't many of those people, yeah. which is great, but it also changes the paradigm for me when I'm thinking about, do I want this thing or do I not? Because mm. it's actually not just whether or not I want this thing. It's there are people out there who are not as far as I along as I am in their let's use the kind of cheesy terminology, sustainability journey. And what about those people? Like, the, I still want to draw those people in because I want them closer to where we are. Yeah. But they're not there yet, so how do I shop for them? This is so interesting. And I don't normally do this on the podcast. Where my mind is going <laughs> is, um, is like a parallel business called like Gilly's List where, where, you know, all of the places that you vetted uh-huh. that, would work, but there's a place in Raleigh, would work, but there's a place in Charlotte, would work, but there's a place in Greenville that like can provide the thing faster. Like I can imagine two-sided customer base where like people want to outsource their brain to you to make t- local decisions for them in um, my friends in, in Oakland, right? So like where in Oakland should I go? Let's check Gilly's list for like Oakland oh, businesses, oh, oh. right? And so it's like maybe you're where in the perfectly sustainable future isn't fulfilling against the orders from Oakland. Sure. But there's a two-sided marketplace where the businesses might be paying you and the customers, while this doesn't seem like it would be a customer paying process, like opt in and get connected to the resources that you spend so much time accruing. This is very interesting. But the point is, uh, yes, there you, you do not seem to be your perfect avatar, but like, um, I'm, I'm imagining in my mind, like a Venn diagram, multiple concentric circles that aren't like perfectly centered. Like somebody cares really like aesthetic first mm-hmm. and then, and then sustainability or like aesthetic first. And then, uh, what is my wife currently thinking about? Like hormone disrupting, endocrine disrupting, endocrine disrupting ingredients. ingredients. So it's like, those are very similar people. But maybe not the same person. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So it's like sustainability isn't exactly hormone disruptors. And they're still probably not shopping at that health food store that I found the product in in 1996. And they're going to Google stuff and they they want their mobile first and it needs to have a good look and it needs to make sense. And, you know, they'll transact after a good ad that they see twice. But like who, what business in that space is going to run ads to get in front of them? Interesting. Okay. So you, you are not your perfect customer avatar. And I think that's a really interesting insight. It's, and I think it's not very novel concept for a lot of industries, but I think in very small retail, it retail. is. Yeah. Cause you know, you're, you're effectively like for Sarah QB Cucina, she's her customer. Right. right? She's, and she's inputting yeah. the things she wants. Yeah. Yeah. And I get it. And like, there is still some version of like, let me outsource decision-making to you, Sarah, but it's, it's, it's let me outsource importing to you, Sarah. To you, Sarah. Exactly. <laughs> Decision making as well. Like people are vetting for sure through Sarah, but also they just don't have access to those products. Right. In my case, people have access to these products. Yes. They just, it's just a lot of work to figure out which one to, to buy. Yeah. 
and I opt out of that work often. I'm here for you, pal. I am I, for that. I am so grateful. We interrupt this episode with a horror story, an e-commerce horror story that my wife Sarah Upertaccio experienced. But I'm going to preface: she's not alone. You might be an e-commerce store owner. You might have a friend who's an e-commerce store owner. And uh, this story is universal, though specific. Sarah, please take it away. Yeah, well, I own a small business called QB Cucina, and we sell Italian pasta tools and kitchenware. And in our previous space where we were fulfilling from, one day my employee was packaging up a bunch of packages to ship via UPS, and UPS did not pick up from this location. And so she was going to package them up and take them out to the car and drive them to UPS. Well, it was raining a lot that day. As it tends to here in Asheville. Yes, as it tends to here in Asheville. And on her way, taking the dolly out to her car, uh, some packages just flew off the dolly were soaking wet she was soaking wet and then she had to repackage them like go back up to the office and repackage them because they were ruined and and couldn't be shipped out so yeah and uh a i'm so sorry to hear that story that's a heartbreaker now you don't have to worry about that happening anymore because you work at Ernest ready-made warehouse and they have daily pickups and deliveries from FedEx, UPS, and USPS. Yes, it's like it's like suddenly we have a valet and concierge at our fingertips, which is amazing. Um, they have daily pickups from from all the major shipping carriers, and they have a huge loading dock, so we can receive our shipments very easily, twenty four hours of the day, every day of the week, which is amazing. To learn more about Ernest Ready Made Warehouse, visit makingitinashville.com forward slash Ernest E R N E S T. We have uh, all sorts of information about this season, about our sponsor, Ernest, ready-made, and uh, offer a very special incentive for those of you who are small business owners in Asheville who could benefit from this facility. Back to the episode. Amazing. Okay, so that was email marketing. Um, yeah. No SMS. Let's take that no out SMS, for now. Let's take that out. We'll talk in a year. You've also mentioned, and I'm thinking um, e-commerce first, so there's a couple concepts. One is you've gone pretty hard in social media, or at least on again, off again relationship with like some powerful social content. I see you as a voice for the people of the people, especially local, like uh, saying some hard truths on social media. What, how, how has that evolved over the last couple of years and specifically with respect to attempting to drive sales in store or on e-commerce? Um, that like ebb and flow that you've sensed is just me burning out and realizing I like at my core hate social media. Like it was very late to the Instagram but, game. But at your best are like very sharp teeth, toothed and like, a, a, I want to say a killer, but it's not the right word, but like yeah. you're good. Thank you. When you're on, it's as, it's as good as it gets. I, the thing I care about that is relevant to that is words. Mm. I think it's because I'm a strong writer and that I'm comfortable saying. Mm-hmm. And when I can convert that to, I'm actually not even a very strong speaker <laughs> because I, like if you weren't driving the the trajectory of this conversation, we'd still be talking about either the first thing or some weird tangent of the first thing that we spoke about because I just have a really hard time with storytelling when it is live and mm. verbal. But the nature of social media usually allows me to do some hybridized version of either having written myself a draft of it or knowing I only have 30 seconds. That helps. Yeah. Give me 
30 minutes to an hour and we're in trouble <laughs> and I need you. But uh, the 30 second time limits and things like that. But what is that driven by? Uh, that's what you asked. I'm trying to channel my inner Tony right now. Yeah, And has it, I mean, and has it done any, have you seen in the Clavio type example, like have you seen ticks in sales after yeah. compelling social oh. posts? Um, yes. However, uh, yeah, I mean, we see big difference in our website traffic after we do something that goes, that gets any level of popularity on the internet, regardless of what channel of the internet it's on. Mm. Um, and that by nature of mathematics typically ends in sales. Mm. You get in front of more people, get further, fewer people further along the sales funnel and you get more sales. Mm -hmm. So yes, but I can't point, I can't always point to who, where they came from. Sure. Sometimes I can. And then sometimes I can't. So, so social is mm, part is, of it. Is it overly strategic, underly strategic uh, reaction? Not, based? Our, our, inter, our email marketing is far more strategic than our social media. Heard. Our social media often just echoes what's happening in our emails mm. or something that's temporarily interesting in the store or relevant just to locals. And I need to get it like out on a one off. Like, hey, we have this one thing left or hey, we're out of this one thing. FYI to the people who are in here regularly, those people tend to be people who also follow us pretty closely on the internet, yeah. on, in, on Instagram specifically. So that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it's, it, we use, I used to be a lot more strategic or want more strategy around social media. Um, and a number of things have happened. My personal Facebook account has been, I still haven't figured this out and I still haven't fixed it. Um, but I've spent many, many, many cumulative hours attempting um, has been flagged internally by Facebook as high risk for something or other. So it cannot be attached to a meta business account. Brutal. Which means yeah. we can't do any marketing from meta. I can boost posts. Mm. I can't run an ad. Facebook or Instagram. Mm. Um, which is really messy. Yeah. Uh, and really ties your hands if you want to do true yeah. digital marketing strategy in that way. So we're pretty limited in that regard. However, it has forced me to be more interested in email marketing and that has had honestly a quicker return. I think I'm getting close to revisiting the meta issue, mm. but every time it, it's like a new, the level of overwhelm that I find myself in once I start going down that rabbit hole. Cause every time I have to like, if you've ever connected a meta business account to a retail store, it is like, there are seven layers to hell, but there are probably 15 layers to this yeah. endeavor. And Dante couldn't, he could never. <laughs> yeah. And that's so brutal. Cause if you're being, if you're being reductionist, there are three things to pay attention to when it comes to marketing as a business owner, maybe four, four. One is in-person stuff, mm -hmm. human beings together. The other, <clears throat> excuse me, email. We talked about that to some extent. And the other two is Facebook, Google. Yeah. Facebook, Google, right? Like that's it. <laughs> Those are the four things to pay attention to. Um, and you are now, I mean, there's a stool there. You have a great in-person, you have a strong email list uh, and the potential. And Facebook and Google are connected. Yeah. They're not, Deeply. Yeah. they're not as connected as Facebook and Instagram. Sure. sure. But like there is a strong overlap. Yeah. That, synergy that, there. Those, those circles are closer together than the other two. Yeah. Uh, and that is, Brutal. Okay. Empathy. Anybody's hearing this? Yeah. Let's uh, let's crowdsource 
connections to Facebook. The next thoughts I'm thinking about, so we had a little bit of email marketing, a little bit of um, social, which feels perhaps light. Um, what I know in the past you've done a ton on like educating brands to attempt to sell into businesses like yours. You mentioned lightly a form by seemingly by way you can uh, quickly discern whether or not these uh, mm. potential brands fit with where. Mm -hmm. um, how are, what's your relationship as as standards have increased? What is your relationship with dealing with uh, brands inbound or outbound? Um, inbound meaning people are going to bring them. Oh, they're reaching out yeah, to us. To outbound, we're reaching yourself. out to them. Yeah. Um, I think the whole landscape of brand of retailer vendor that's kind of what you'd call this roles in the scenario retailer vendor relationships is markedly different in a world that in the current world of uh, fair, which is mm. you're probably familiar with fair, but for those who aren't. I don't know how you would have missed it at this point if you're an e-com. Yeah. But they are have more or less or taken a massive chunk out of the need to go to in-person trade shows for physical merchandise. For sure. And we actually talk about it a couple episodes back with mm -hmm. Botanical Bones, who uses Fair, Fair to do some wholesaling. Cool. Yeah. Fair was very small. It was called something different when we were first opened, and I don't remember what. And the very funny thing is, it's called what? I was going to say foul. No, I can't remember what it was. It was very different, but it was fair is what I almost called wear because it means to make in French, the way they spell it with mm. E on the end. And it's also kind of a play on words with um, like, you know, a, a craft fair. Yeah, craft fair event. Yeah. Which is what they're going for too. Correct. Um, Fun. Really glad I didn't do that. Yeah. Um, I sent what I thought was a joking. I had a really good relationship when that branding changed with my rep at fair um, and I was like, I don't even remember his name. We'll call him Colin. I was like, Ooh, Colin, y'all are lucky that I didn't, uh, didn't go with fair. I'd be coming for you now. And now, yeah. uh, they're so massive that that's not even funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, yeah. they'd have me on a silver platter. So they do seem to have, uh, taken a huge portion of the, I mean it to, to the point. Okay. Oh yeah. Where I was going with that is the way they control the relationships between brand, between vendors and retailers is wild because you no longer I, I as a retailer no longer have to reach out to a company and communicate with a person at all yeah I can online shop for wholesale product like I would online shop for clothing and they get an order and mm. they're like oh I guess we're in a new store now yeah and that's there's that for that very reason a lot of Vendors are starting to pull out, I don't know about a lot, but vendors are, we're starting to get communication from vendors who are pulling out of fair because they want more control over where they're showing up. Sure. And that's valid. Beyond zip code exclusivity, they want to, they want a better idea of how their brand pairs with the, uh, how it's going to be merchandised. Yeah, how it's and, going to be merchandised, pairs with yeah. the store. That, and, you know, that's obviously not an issue we've ever come across. We, you know, are pretty careful about those things, but, um, I can see how yeah. brand people like how businesses who have maybe like a less clear idea of who their audience is mm -hmm. might in that in the process of trying to figure that out be more experimental than a brand wants to be on the receiving end of. 
Sure. And then on the the inverse of that is as a vendor, to use your language, on the vendor side, it does seem like the convenience has a price, right? And there is a meaningful portion of top line that is taken. There is. If they don't, if they find you through fair, I think it's 30%. It's something crazy like that. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, if you, you wanted to it, win but... the favor of a brand, you say, hey, I'm selling on fair, send in you an email, send me your link. Exactly. And I'll, and I'll save you 10, yeah, 15%. And a, lot of, a lot of brands are putting it on their website now. So yeah. we'll try to go to their website and find it. Cool. Um, yeah, that's wild. It's, it's rare that I actually find a brand because of fair. Got it. To be totally fair. Um, mostly because, I know. Uh, it's a pretty small, like yeah. the refill zero waste product space is very small yeah. and where is also pretty small, but not the smallest in this, in this arena. And so like, it's pretty uncommon that someone who's gotten, you know, we get reached out to a lot of times or I've already found them. They're mm-hmm. on my radar if, if I'm not on theirs before fair is even in the picture or before I realize they're unfair. I heard, um, one of the questions and I can imagine this being some, I don't want to over preface it that no jinxing available here. Right. So they can't, we're not jinxing anything, but, um, I remember at some point there was perhaps a post that you made about like refill businesses going under in the last several years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was some, like they, it showed up more in my world mm-hmm. out of, you know, from zero to multiple. And then I did get a sense that some had shut down. Do you have any guesses as to what uh, mm-hmm. what missed for the ones that are no longer with us and what lessons can be learned? I cannot understate the importance or the significance of margins in a sustainable business model. When you start paying more for labor, ingredients, packaging, time in all kinds of forms, shapes, forms, and fashions, smaller scales, all the ways that things get more expensive, which as soon as you start talking about sustainability, almost every input does. Mm -hmm. The ability to charge enough to sustain a business on that product, whether it's direct consumer or wholesale or retail is so important. And I think it's something that has a morality attached to it in the sustainability world. Like people want to prove that their margins are small Mm. as if that makes them ethically superior, morally superior. And what it means is that they don't have a cushion when economic downturn is around. And I'm not saying where is different. I think we're, I've been very firm about our margin and, and it's meant that there's brands we haven't carried because they haven't, they've wanted more control over the retail price and they're only willing to bring, they're only open to bringing down the, or able to bring down the wholesale price so much. So the margin was well below something we could afford. And I've passed on brands because of that, largely because like I can't pay for our, our physical store and the maintenance of that Mm -hmm. and the salaries at a, you know, living wage in Asheville and the R and D of like testing out of new products. So we can keep, I can't cover all the things that make where, what it is if we don't have a sufficient margin. Um, and I don't think that that is something that many businesses in this very niche part of this already pretty small industry, uh, have put the 
emphasis on mm. that would allow them to get through the last three years particularly. And, but the reason I think that is hitting everyone now is because all of the different, you know, we had government support of different kinds for a while and then we had people couldn't travel and so they were spending money on things or they couldn't go to concerts. So they're spending money on things and that affected how much money retailers were seeing, um, across yeah. industry expectations. Um, and then now small retailers are seeing across the board. It's not just refill shops are seeing a downturn in sales traffic and that hits those who have the smallest margins, the hardest. They have the least insulation from those experiences. That makes a lot of sense to me. What, um, if there was a target to, I guess, squirrel away, what do you try to target? Um, we try to target the industry standard, which is a hundred percent markup. Heard. Yeah. There's not a lot of, not a lot of room, not a lot of room, No, especially when you're trying to do stuff right. And so, uh, that leads me to a new segment, so a new okay. concept segment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, these things have made the cut. So oh, the things in the little, uh, if you're not watching table. on YouTube, um, we will do our best to describe some of the products here. Just if you could maybe pick one or two and talk me through it. Sure. This looks like mints. Um, <laughs> how about we talk about the Please things that looks swallow. like a jar of mints? <laughs> it does look like a jar of mints. It is a jar of toothpaste tablets, which are um, a liquid free and therefore tube um, and kind of liquid adjacent packaging free uh, alternative to toothpaste. So pop one of those in and it becomes, chew it. Chew it. And by chewing it, you create the paste huh. and you just brush your teeth like normal. But it's in a little glass jar, and yeah. there's a month serving, assuming um, a responsible person brushes their teeth twice a day. You get one month's uh, use out of one jar. And then in front of that, we've got the commercially compostable pouch that you could sign up for a subscription to refill that. If you purchase this at home, wherever in the country you are, you can, you know, for where specifically, save 10%, get this package in the mail once a month. It fills that jar perfectly. Fun. That's so, and uh, commercially compostable. I and that's like, kind of what, like what a lot of this is. Yeah. We've got a jar of laundry powder here, and behind it, we've got a, you know, a high number post-consumer recycled paper bag sure. full of the exact same amount of laundry powder. So you can initially buy this glass jar of laundry powder, or you can start with the bag if you've got your own container sure. at home. Whatever works, and you can sign yourself up for a subscription of it or not. But we're trying to figure out ways as often as possible, we're trying to make the refill experience available to folks who don't live near refill shops, mm. which in many, in most cases, both for cost and sustainability purposes, means eliminating or minimizing liquids. It seems to me part of that is weight. Shipping. Shipping is expensive. Shipping, expensive shipping because it's And it's expensive in part because it takes more gas to mm. ship something that's heavier than, um, you know, to move something that's heavier than something that's lighter. Um, and so you pay more to ship liquids and, oh, by the way, if an, you know, a product that is liquid versus it's non-liquid equivalent, the difference is water, but then it's the emulsifiers to make sure the water and the non-water stay bound. Then it's, um, uh, stabilizers and things to help keep it shelf stable and pr those preservatives and things like that. You've got, you end up with a lot of ingredients that are not necessary to the function of that product as soon as you add water. Interesting. And also by net result, 
would also mean, I guess, volume increases the volume, and those are yes. the two shipping exactly e- equations, Absolutely. space yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and weight. Yeah. So here we're looking at shower streams don't ever really come as a liquid, so that's not relevant. But toothpaste and a bar of shampoo and a powdered laundry detergent, and um, we've got these little concentrated pods of cleaning fluid. For this case, it's all-purpose cleaner, and so you pop that into this. 16 ounce bottle it has to be mixed with 16 ounces of water and you shake it vigorously and you've got your all-purpose cleaner hmm. but you've purchased something that can get to you in the mail with a regular stamp yeah post stamp ha huh. so we're trying to figure out ways of making refill sustainability minimal waste and like you know most of this packaging is curbside recyclable yeah not the compostable bag but we can figure that out with folks who would rather have that sure and how are you attempting to solve for the subscription ability, subscription renewing? Because it seems like, to me, uh, one of the best things in business would be being able to forecast future revenue. Yeah. Right? So that's the question that um, yeah. all businesses are trying to solve for is like, what does the future hold? Most don't have an answer. Software businesses are the closest to knowing mm-hmm. because they can say, well, on average, of our customers churn, 10% of our customers churn. Uh, And on average, they stick around 18 months, 24 months, 36 months. We now can see into the future with some version of truth. Uh, How are you thinking about building a subscription engine in the business? I mean, I think it it answers that question part, right? Like if you know that 15 people are going to buy this all-purpose cleaner for their subscriptions next month, that's 15, next time you restock, that's at least 15 that you know you have to buy. Mm-hmm. And then the ones that you were, were gonna go out the door in a more organic fashion. And so it helps, it informs purchasing, mm-hmm. it informs um, cash flow expectations and revenue predictions. And there's not, there's no, there's almost no better way to support a small business. I know a lot of people look towards business cards, oh, sorry, mm-hmm. um, gift cards. Mm-hmm. Does, when like yeah. when people talk about supporting small businesses in crunch times, we've had a lot of conversations around gift cards, I think, in the larger small business uh, kind of in- internet conversations over the last few years. Um, but one step better than that is not, as opposed to giving a business a chunk of money for which you're going to make good on at some undetermined mm-hmm. time, which in some cases it makes a ton of sense, like a gift. It's a responsible way to give a gift. Mm-hmm. However, if you're doing it to support a small business, an alternative is either buying a thing so they're not holding on to something that could disappear from their hands mm-hmm. later, or a subscription, which means that they know you're coming back every month. Mm-hmm. They know that they don't have to sell to you, you know, they don't have to stress about that one sale. Mm-hmm. That one sale is taken care of. Even if you knew you were gonna make that sale, now they know you're gonna make that sale. Um, and so it's a really great way from a small business like perspective, if you're looking to support them, that's one way to do it outside of that, just from like a regular business operations and financial projections. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really wonderful if it, if it takes off, yeah. we have not gone super hard on marketing at this point, mostly because I was unsure about, there's a lot of software you have to figure out to make it smooth. Um, I'm not sure we're hundred percent there yet, but there's a lot of things that need ironing out, but some of those things can only get ironed out once people are subscribed and yeah. as we grow, we'll figure it out. Yeah. 
Wow. Um, two thoughts, and they're probably just being, being creative and or silly. Sure. Um, do you have anything to do with, or have you considered at all types of cadences? So it seems to me that the tooth, toothbrush monthly makes sense. It's like that is the capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you attempt to communicate, hey, this is a pound of dishwashing detergent or laundry detergent uh, that'll be about a month. Do you want to start at a month? Do you want to start every two months? Do you want to increase like how? We can't really, for things like laundry detergent, yeah. where like people could have eight people in their household, right. or they could be one person in their household. That's not a thing we can determine. Yeah. So we have a lot of different cadences available to people cool. to so test you, out you on their own, Built that kind of figure it out. But for things like toothpaste tablets, where we know that that is one serving for one person for one month, they're on month increments. You can buy multiple and have them delivered every other month sure. or whatever. But same with like the toothbrush heads. We know how long hygienically you're supposed to keep a toothbrush sure. head. Those are on, and these are like Sonicare plastic-free alternatives to like Sonicare heads specifically. And so like we know how long those are supposed to last from a hygiene stand, sure. hygiene standpoint. Yeah. So things like that. Some things have very firm, sometimes not. Perfect. So that was going to be the, the inverse. So it's like communicating how much they should buy. And then the other is once they get a sense of how much they should buy, it's like, mm-hmm. how frequently should they buy it, yeah. right? So it's like buying, uh, we have a family of two, we can buy one of these every 15 days sure. and ship it every 15 days, or we can buy two. six yeah, yeah. and be, be ready for, you know, that we're one quarter of the year, yeah. we're getting shipments every quarter. Um, yeah, we've, we've left that up to the discretion of the of the buyer. But they but they have the ability to say, don't send it every month, send it every two months. Yeah, they have, they have the ability to go in and say, skip this month specifically. So is there, so great clarity. So is it built on the assumption that there's going to be a monthly reorder and they go in and, re, and skip months? We have built different structures for different timelines and then we apply those products to those timelines. Fun. So we've got monthly ones and certain products apply to those. We've got bi-monthly... And quarterly things that you would yeah. just realistically not ever buy yeah. that often, and we've had certain products applied to those. Mm-hmm. And yep. that would be separate subscriptions because you can't have multiple timelines on the same subscription. Mm. That's just the nature of that app. I don't know if different apps are different, different, but fascinating. Shopify's I, just added a subscription feature <laughs> yeah. internally, so we're going to take a look at that and see if that makes sense. Currently, we use Loop. Loop. I'm neutral on Loop right now. Mm. Heard. Yeah. Last line of questions not true <laughs> second to last line of tra- last uh i'll say deep perhaps line of questions is is there anything else uh that you're really paying attention to headed into q4 2023 and next year like it seems like you've communicated e-commerce is going to be prioritized um r- refills pushed harder perhaps and further what else are we thinking about a wholesale line. <gasps> <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was going to say that. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Um, it is been in the, it's something, it's what I've wanted to do since I opened Wear. The whole point of me opening Wear was because I wanted to be in product development. What fun, what fun. Oh, what fun it is to Interesting. Wear. Okay, so is there even loose approximations on timeline on what that looks like? No, at this point, it is either... There, you know, there are different lines in the funding pond mm-hmm. at the moment. If one of those were to take 
it would be an ASAP scenario that we would get things going and it would take maybe two months from point of inception mm. um, or investment. Yeah. If none of those happen, it's a 2024 thing. Do you want to talk about funding things on a podcast with Tony? Like, like now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is it? What are, what are we thinking? Have And if I'm not, have you ever done any kind of, I know there was initial friends, family that we talked about in the yeah. first podcast. Since then, it's all been debt. Debt. Okay. The cool. occasional additional buy-in of equity from friends and family, but um, aside from that, okay, we're just we're. Yeah. Oh, so, what are you looking at now? Um, you, and, you, you I can go actually, as zoom this out one I actually don't know that I can talk about. Okay. But uh, it would be a friends and family type investment from someone who's unsure if that money is going to be available to them in that way. Interesting. So, that's how that would happen. If someone was like, I absolutely loved this story. I love her. How do I get in touch? And I want to buy a chunk of oil. Like, is this, is this, are you open to funding or are you specific on like these type, these people that you already know as the funding pool? Um, I would talk to somebody. Cool. The, the cold emails I've gotten have clearly been like, yeah. Nah. <laughs> yeah. Hello. I come from very wealthy family. Or like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like we know about investment. What do you know about investment? Let us invest. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. My, the family business is yeah. an investment making firm. So yeah. bye. Yeah. <laughs> um, which does not mean I have access to endless capital because sure. FINRA, but in the SEC. But <laughs> um, it means that I do at least know what a red flag is. Sure. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, send us your. Uh, Actually, I want you Twitter. to reach out to Tony, and Tony will reach out to me if you I, want to yeah. invest in my. Please do. I, I love that. Oh, how funny that would be. I. I <laughs> You're like can, I just I could see the emails coming in. I would love to be a fly on the wall. Um, very fascinated. By well, yes, yeah, so and the alternative is organically paying for it from. Yeah. Revenue, and that would be starting a lot smaller. Um, that would be starting a lot smaller. And now. It seems to me, and I don't want to make any big assumptions, but it seems to me the house brand has always been like the profit center in most retailers. And there are some interesting numbers that I've seen or heard over the years about like, you know, whatever would be like the Ingalls version of the thing. Everything else is like loss leaders. If anyone buys the Ingalls version, it's covered six of the yeah they've brand made items. you know all, yeah. all their money. Um, so it's it seems yeah. to me that you might have uh, five years worth of data around which products you should start with. Yeah, and that's how we would start, and that's that would be that's the the idea is like we know what moves well in this context, mm. and so even folks who I think it's I've started looking at it recently as a way of franchising without franchising interesting so like it's like having a store within a store if people know that these items sell well at where and they can buy into them all they've yeah. now got it's a way for them to not have to do the research either right yeah. outsource it to yeah gillies yeah uh interesting and then last question and this is not uh last question before the last questions terms of loose check size if there were one like what what makes this a i'll start and we can have it theoretically for holiday 2023 if mm. someone handed it to me you know you said it was about yeah two months. yeah if we were magic wand had happened a, today magic wand had happened today would be tens of thousands yeah about 75 
to do it the way I want to do it. Okay. We could probably do it for 50. Yeah. I think I could do it for 50, but I'd like to do it at 75 based on the things that I would, would make it smoother later on. Okay. Make your emails out to Tony at making it in Asheville. If you have a, if you have reason to believe that you are that investor or series of investors, <laughs> oh my uh, God. making it in Asheville is starting. We're going to do, uh, yeah, we're going to do a roll up vehicle. Very standard. Oh my very God. standard. This and- is the most professional. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, cool. So the last actual last line of questions is if uh, people fell in love with the story, fell in love with you, how would they find you on the internet uh, to connect? Um, aside from Tinder. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Keep swiping. Not even. Actually, keep swiping. If you find me, tell me because that's a problem. Yeah. Your image and likeness. <laughs> someone is, someone's getting someone's a lot of Someone's catfishing matches. you uh, and we need to talk. That's fine. Um, they can find me at they can find where at howdy at whereavl.com they can find the website is whereavl.com i did that backwards mm-hmm. um avl like Asheville's airport code um we are on instagram at where.avl i think it's probably pretty similar for facebook and tiktok yeah. and we'll have links to all of those yeah. things um mostly on the internet yeah or you can find us in west Asheville at 797 haywood road suite 101 Asheville, north carolina 28806 see us. Perfect. That was the podcast. Thank you so much for, <laughs> Thanks, for being here. <laughs>